Ladies and gentlemen, it is July 21st, 2022. I am Matt Belinsky. This is your weekly dose of sanity, the prevailing narrative. And I hope you guys were able to stay sane the last few weeks while I was away. Yes, I was traveling a bit, so no episodes. A lot happened in my absence. A lot of stuff around the abortion issue. There's going to be no shortage of stuff to analyze and current events and newsworthy topics to attack. But we're going to push that to next week. This week, I'm having a conversation with a fascinating individual named Kamal Ravikant. So this this podcast beyond... Uh, kind of fierce analysis of current events. It's meant to bring you some of the, the best thought leaders and most insightful minds out there. And Kamal is certainly one of them. Very successful uh, founder and invest, investor in Silicon Valley for many years now, but also a thought leader and a successful best-selling author. His book, uh, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It, has changed lives many times over and is kind of one of the, the really most most popular and impactful self uh, personal development self-help screeds over the past decade. And what really strikes me about Kamal, and this is also not just from his writing, but also just from having met him a few times is how open, honest, and engaging he is and, and raw. Um, and a gentleman, you know, historical figure and author that we'll be discussing on the pod, uh, chat with Kamal um, is Ernest Hemingway. And Ernest Hemingway had a famous a famous quote that writing writing is very simple. You just sit down at your typewriter and bleed. And the notion being that that you have to pour your, you have to overshare, you have to, however much you think you are, you are hesitant or scared to share about yourself, your hopes, your fears, your desires, your experiences, you have to share more. And and that is it to let yourself out in the most raw, vulnerable manner possible. It, that that brings and that results in the best writing. And that is what the, that is what Kamal has brought to bear with his work as well. Um, a super interesting guy. Um, and you know, in, in the hopes and the goals of bringing you guys the best thought leaders and the most helpful, valuable information possible. It's a fascinating discussion. Kamal is a great and fascinating guy. Um, we talk about everything from the principles and experiences that gave, gave rise to his career as a best-selling. Uh, best-selling author, his thoughts on the business world, the startup world, and the cryptocurrency world, which he's very involved in as well. And just a fascinating guy whose experiences, I mean, he's tried to live a life of, of excitement and challenge and, you know, and and his his wisdom and his perspective definitely shows that. So the conversation with Kamal Ravikant coming up in just a moment. Um, great to be back with you guys. Hope you enjoy it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Matt Belinsky. This is The Prevailing Narrative. The competition for most interesting man in the world is fierce, and my guest today is definitely in the conversation. He's co-founded numerous companies, meditated with monks in the Himalayas, gone through basic training with the U.S. Army at 18 years old, walked across the country of Spain, and changed thousands of lives with his best-selling book, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. Kamal Ravikant, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's the most interesting man in the world. That's funny. You know, it, it, that profile, uh, you're definitely in the conversation. Your hat's in the ring. I do get that, but I find it very comical. You know, it's, I would say I would say actually the most curious man in the world. I'm insanely well, curious, and I think that's what leads me to do all these crazy things. So right into that, uh, the uh, uh, being interesting is being interested. It was if we're tracing it back to kind of one of the early self improvement or personal development texts, uh, Dale Carnegie. Uh, do you? I, I imagine that you find that that lesson rings true. Yeah, I mean, look, I was thinking, you know, if you want to have friends, you got to be in. You got to be curious about people. People. If you have curious about people, you'll never lack for friends. Mm -hmm. And then, if you're curious about people and you're open about yourself, you will never lack for lack for deep friendships. No doubt. You know? Yeah. And in terms of being terms of being open uh, with yourself, that seems to be one of your core principles. And and in terms of the genesis of your career as an author and thought leader and, and your book, uh, that you 
that it really is about sharing and then oversharing about your personal experiences and getting past, kind of getting past that boundary of hesitation to share your innermost thoughts, fears, beliefs, um, and and ideas is really getting past that is really what led you to to your fate as as rolled out destiny has rolled out over the last decade. Yeah, you know, I trained as a classical uh, fiction writer, you know, mm-hmm. so that was what I was going to do. I was going to write write literary fiction, so. When I wrote Love Yourself, I'd never set out to write a book like that. And I wrote it because I had something to share. And because now I had the skill and the craft to be able to, to share something, the truth simply, I think that really helped. But what really made the book successful, I think, is the fact that I truly share. Uh, look, I'm just a human being. I mean, my mind's a shit, no more of, it's probably more of a shit show than yours. But here's how I like you know, basically trained it and here's how it changed my life. And here's exactly how you can do it. And I'm not a fan of people who write their journals and put them out to the world. There's no, it doesn't help anyone. You know, it's, you Mm got to show, there's got to be a method to the madness. You got to show what the lesson is and how you got there. Not just, well, this is my sucky past. There you go. Have a great time. No, Mm -hmm. this is what happened. This is what I did to get through it. And this is how I'm on the other side living it. So you can follow that path. And that's the best gift we can give as human beings is share our journeys and share the path so other can take them and also realize they're not alone. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people get, you know, when all of us have been there, when we're stuck in a, in a funk or a dark place, it feels very alone. And yeah. it really helps to understand that people who we consider successful or whatever out there go through the same stuff, if not worse. The, the more driven you are, the more you go through that. You know, that's a lot of people forget that it's part of um so some of the very most successful people I know are have to have had to work on themselves really hard because they mm-hmm. were shit shows. Their lives are shit shows. You know, they have to really do that. And so when you share that, people realize, oh, I'm not alone. You know, I'm just another human being, than another human being. And if they got through it, and this is how they did it. I can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, then it's worthwhile to share. And one, one a related observation that I saw that you made is that your life went from an incredibly dark place to an inc- incredibly bright place very quickly. And that's something if we, once again, uh, for some reason, going back to kind of classical uh, personal development texts um, and Think and Grow Rich, and one of their chapters is on how some of the most successful people out there, their real breakthroughs came after an immense tragedy or some of their darker periods. And that that seems to ring true. I mean, do you think that's something that's translatable that a lot of people, um, they need to see that it's possible and even uh, and even oftentimes occurs that your darkest periods are followed by your by the true breakthroughs? I think it's kind of like because what dark periods bring through, like normally if life is just going a status quo, we just kind of get caught up in it. You know, we all do that. You know, we just get lazy, fat and lazy, and just get caught up in it. Um, or if the things are going great, we're just busy enjoying it. But when things are really bad is when two things, one, maybe you can get in there and wallow in it and just dig your well deeper. Or at the same time, you're probably, you're forced to reflect and you're forced to be really honest with yourself, like in ways that you normally aren't. And when you're really honest with yourself is when you make the true changes. And unfortunately, that often comes during dark periods because they force us to look at ourselves from our, um, you know, like hospital bed decisions are very clear and life-changing decisions. Why is that? You know, I've had those, you know, and like, let me tell you, when you're in a hospital bed, the conversations you have with yourself are, there's, there's a purity to it that nothing matches. That'll sharpen you know? your focus, no doubt. Well, not just your focus. You're just really honest with yourself. When they tell you you might die, 
next week. You're like, mm-hmm. okay, let me get, you know, it's not even like, oh, let me get honest. Your thoughts get really clear. Mm-hmm. Like the gun falls away, right? And it's the same in dark periods. You just get honest with yourself. And when you do, when you're honest with yourself and you reflect, you naturally come to conclusions and you, and then the next step is just living them. And those that do are the ones that transform their lives. And so uh, the, well, interesting, a serendipitous moment related to this conversation. I was, I was checking out some of your materials. Noticed that we have a mutual friend, Alan Loeb, one of the top screenwriters in Hollywood. Oh, yeah, Alan's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. Uh, Listen to your podcast with Alan. It was fantastic. Loved hearing his origination story. But uh, obviously one of the the principles of that chat was the power of storytelling. So your story, the what occurred to you that led you to the place that that uh, at which you were forced to be honest with yourself? Um, It was, as you described, a very low point. You made these breakthroughs. And, you know, while you've been a successful founder, executive investor, that your true craft and what you're truly passionate about is being an author. And what led you to to that point? Well, would love to hear the origination story there well the original story you know it's funny i've been asked this so many times i've said it so many times and i wonder you know in the end rather than going into the details of it because it's in the book in the end what it was what you have a human being you have a man who's very tight his ego is very tied into what he does Mm -hmm. and the whole thing blows up it could be anything in life where something we're tied to blows up you know it could be an athlete give me your career ends, whatever right like my whole thing blew up and so did my sense of self along with it and I fell into a dark hole and it was a dark hole that I considered just ending things. And it was a very, you know, and I, and, but what I decided was it was in that time in that moment of self-reflection where I realized, you know what, I don't want to live like this anymore. I'm sick of being in my own head. I was literally sick of my own thoughts and you can't escape your head. I mean, you can do drugs and stuff, but that's momentary. And that just leads to a shitty, you know, sh- shitty yeah. spark, right? It doesn't get, yeah. it, that's not the, the solution. In fact, it creates more problems. So, or alcohol for that matter, right? You could numb it, but, you know, then you just like playing whack-a-mole and you're, you're destroying yourself in the process. So I just like, I'm sick of these thoughts and I'm going to, I'm going to change my insight or die trying. I can't live like this anymore. And in that process, I came up with a, you know, I made a vow to myself and I'm a big believer. And if you make a vow, you got to keep it. You know, I'm a big believer. I'm, one of the things I pride myself in as a man is like, if I give my word, I keep it. It's just like, I think as a human being, forget as a man, you know, we should have certain principles that we live by that make us who we are, that make us proud of who we are. You know, that whether whenever sees it, you know, we live it, you know, like our values. And that's one of mine. And and I made this vow to myself, and it was it was a came out of actually nowhere. I thought it was going to be like I'm going to be my best self. I improvement it came out of I'm going to love myself, and it came out in the moment. And I thought, and I wrote this down. I thought, huh, how the hell do I do that? And and so, unlike a guy who's written a book on it, I didn't go around looking for books on it because honestly, like a lot of self help, I found is is perfunctory. It'll tell you. It'll make you feel good in the moment, but it won't give you the hard solution. It's like telling someone, you know, how great is to be fit, but not giving them a, a core diet and fitness plan that they can implement. Nothing right? actionable. Yeah, not right. actionable. So I, coming from the, the life I've had, I'm, I'm, I believe in action. So I just started trying things. But now this wasn't external because I was in a pretty bad state at the time. It was all internal work. And I noticed, you know, that what started to work started to shift things inside. And so I went deeper and did those more and more until eventually I came up with a very simple practice and that I was just simple, that I was just doing daily. And it was an internal practice. And 
my my shitty thoughts went away it was re- they're replaced by like really like a beautiful i was enjoying my own uh, my own head and and actually then translated into a beautiful life and the irony is um you know i came up with and i'm the one who gets lazy and forgets it which is one of the reasons why i have a whole section and and love yourself like a life, life depends on it on just really hammering don't coast don't coast it's like mm-hmm. if you get a work get really fit and then you sit there you eat bonbons for a year what do you think is going to happen right the mind actually is even faster because neuroplasticity just like take it's always growing it's always taking things in and your old grooves are still there and they will kick in if you just get lazy and fat and lazy mm-hmm. um and i use the word fat and lazy metaphorically uh, sure mental so so that's what i set out to write uh to actually share mm-hmm. and you know what what was amazing was this was one man's story. It wasn't like I have a PhD in neuroscience or whatever. I'm actually better off that I don't. I just did yeah. my own thing, right? And and you know, there's a there's a there's a Roman poet thousands of years ago said, I'm a human being, therefore nothing human is foreign to me. And I never forgot that because I heard Maya Angelou say that in a talk I heard her give years ago. And I thought, you know, that kind of like inspired me because if I'm a human being and nothing human is foreign to me, so if one human being can change his inside by doing work on the inside, so can another. Here's the path. Here's where I was. Here's the path I took. And here's a step-by-step journey that you can replicate. And it turns out it, it works for a ton of people, people all around the world. You know, this book is doing very well. Um, you know, just reach out to me every day from all, it's, a, it's published in like, I don't know, 18 languages by now, right? I know I'm getting, I have to use my Google Translate every day, like when I check my email and all over the world, it works for them. You know, I am a human being, therefore nothing human is foreign to me. And so all I did was share one man's human journey, an internal journey and his solution that he found that worked for him. And yeah, and I wrote it down. Fantastic. And it really has, it does seem to be resonating with people on such a primitive and cellular level. And it's also interesting that it's a very simple book. It's relatively short. It's very, it's relatively simple. And you've, you know, you've uh, extolled the virtues of brevity. Um, and the, the quote, you know, I would write you a shorter letter, but I didn't have enough time. And I'm at, you know, you seem, you know, in the way that you've described the craft of writing um, is real value in every word and, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, essentially chiseling things down to, to, uh, it, the uh, utmost necessity um and you know how, how do you see that as a value of writing in general and particularly as as applied towards any type of of personal development screeds or something where you're revealing something about yourself um in in hopes to bond with others yeah it's actually funny enough i wrote a little note to myself i was in the gym before i came here and i was thinking i was thinking about something i heard um I think it was YouTube, this fitness guy, Kate Brogues, really great calisthenics teacher. And he says, you know, uh, chase form, not ch- don't chase reps. He keeps on saying, don't chase reps. And I was mm-hmm. writing, I wrote to myself, yeah, don't, and I was doing pull-ups. I was, I was doing perfect form. And I was like, you know, and I felt very, it was a lot less pull-ups than I could normally do, mm-hmm. right? But the work, the workload was much better, much greater in my body. Yep. And, you know, I wrote to myself, chase, uh, ch- don't chase reps chase perfection of form mm-hmm. which in other words you know quality of a quantity and that applies to everything including the written word quality mm-hmm. over quantity every word has to serve a purpose every chapter has to serve a story every paragraph has to serve the chapter it's you know it's it's a true craft it involves a lot of work but when you do it it 
you know, you get through, you'll write something that will stand the test of time. You'll write stuff that people, I have kids who read my book, read my books, and I have, you know, people in the 80s who read my books and all are transformed by it. Why? Because I write so simply in a Hemingway, I studied obsessively and he was like, never use a big word when you can use a small word. Yeah. He was absolutely right because using big words to actually hide, to basically hide a concept, it's much harder to actually explain a concept with using smaller words and just using one blanket word. But that's how people will understand what you're really trying to say because one big word can mean a lot of different things to someone. But when you really hammer and chisel down what you're trying to say with small words, the same thing, you will get through exactly what you want people to understand. No uh, so that applies, you know, perfection, uh, perfection versus uh, chasing reps applies to everything. So yeah. in terms of a, a simple word that really is the focus of, of your book and your personal credo is love. Um, and then people hear that, you know, the notion of loving, loving oneself sounds great. Right. But and as you've harped on um, the it, practical application, it is there. There is a process to loving yourself. Um, and you share some of this in the book. But what does loving oneself mean mean to you um, kind of, you know, both philosophically, but also functionally? Um. Look, I was never the guy who said I had to be the love yourself guy. Trust me, I was dragged mm -hmm. into this kicking and screaming. <laughs> I, I, I was never wanted to be that guy. Uh, but somehow I've become that guy. But you know, I'm still kicking and screaming about it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because for me, it's an internal thing. You know, it's not shouting out to the world of what I, it's, it's about inner work and how I feel about myself inside. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of times, uh, most of us, it's the human condition, feel pretty shitty about ourselves inside. You know, the, the classic thing, would you let a friend talk to you the way you talk to yourself? Mm -hmm. You know, well, it requires work to change that. And that's what we're practicing. But it was very, very simple. It wasn't like, stand your head, write this 50 times a day, all that. You know, there's none of that. It's just very simple. You can do any time. It's just mental work. And when you do that, you're creating these new loops in your, you know, in your mind that stuff. So for me, it's an inner state. It's a way of being where you're walking around and your natural thought, your chatter in your head generally is very, when it's focusing on yourself, very positive. It's seeing the best about yourself and wanting the best for yourself and looking for the best for yourself and watching out for the best for yourself. Because that's what you would do if you, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Really? So and, that, and, it's a state of being. And one uh, practical, well, it's the in answer, asking some, your, oneself a question and answering it on a daily basis that I thought was interesting. If I truly loved myself, what would I do? And that is a, a kind of guiding light for, for all actions and decisions. Yeah, it was a question I came up with myself uh, when I first came into practice was interacting with people. I still found myself like getting uh, pulled into their dramas or like getting put, in, put into a lot of stuff. You know, you, we all live in the world. And and I found myself, I was like, how do I like um, pull myself back mm -hmm. from it? So I came up with this question. And the most important part of the question is actually the if. Because if you said, you know, because I love myself or what I do, your mind will say, well, dumbass, you don't love yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you know, or you're yeah. not good enough, whatever, right? So it's a theoretical question. If I love myself, you're in any situation, if I love myself, what would I do? So anyone can can answer. The mind will not fight the a theoretical question. It will give you the answer. Mm -hmm. Now you know the answer. And now you have, now it's up to you to live it. And you may actually ask this question a hundred times and not live it a hundred times. But you're tired of knowing the answer, not living it, and you will start living the answer. 
and that's where transformation will happen. It's very simple, you know, uh, this was part of it. This was actually in the latter end mm-hmm. where, you know, so where I started just giving myself these things. So when I was in the world and I have space with choices and you not naturally fall into, uh, you know, just old patterns of behaviors, it's like in that moment, ask yourself. And, you know, sometimes I consciously chose the opposite, but I was being honest with myself, you know, at least, and you know what? The best way to live with yourself is be honest with yourself in your mind. No one's eavesdropping for dropping. The NSA hasn't figured out how to listen to the inside of your head. Okay. Like, you, you know, when the iPhone can't get in there. Be, if you can be honest with yourself inside your head, there's a true freedom in that. And so I was being honest with myself when I wasn't. And eventually it was like, okay, I'm tired of like being this guy who's not doing what, what, he, what he knows is to be true. So you just start mm-hmm. doing it. But it really requires being honest with yourself. How do you catch yourself? How do you keep yourself honest when you catch when you catch yourself when you might be telling yourself, you know, some some fibs, some white lies, or just kind of uh, approaching the truth but taking a detour right as you're you're about to uh, about to find it? Because I feel like that's it, something that a lot it's of people... a practice. All these things are practice. It's like the mental work. You know, it's it's like you don't go and take a meditation course and then you're done for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You know, ever notice at monks, you know, like they meditate every day, hours a day. You'd think they would have gotten it at a certain point. No, <laughs> right? Right? So like it, anything that's in our work is a practice. And that's what we forget. We, you know, like, look, I went to the gym today. I'm going to have like make myself a nice smoothie, you know, like the protein and greens and all this. We do all this stuff to take care of our outer self. We don't think twice about it. We, every, you tell your friends you're working out, they'll all be like, good for you. You know, mm-hmm. like. But how much of our time do we spend working on our inner self? And that's what runs the entire show. It runs the entire show. You work on your inner self, your outer self naturally gets better. You start being more honest with yourself. And so the love yourself practice for me, I I realized later on was literally a Trojan force to make myself better on the inside. Mm -hmm. And that's actually become like my, my journey deeper and deeper, like to just be better on the inside because it, it, I mean, look, we're till that dying moment. That's who you got is you. Mm-hmm. You're all, you know? always be with yourself. You always with yourself. But you can make that better. I promise you, your external will get better because your actions will get better. But there's also something I've learned at this. We can get into it like it gets a little boo boo, but I've really noticed that anytime I'm really, um, and I get a lot of people telling me the same thing, I notice that I'm really being internally, um, I don't like the word positive, but. Mm-hmm. really being good inside um my external stuff to reflect it without me having mm-hmm. to do anything so i don't know i mean one can they can go to dream you know conversation on nature reality but all i can tell you is i've learned this to be true your outside is reflect you know inside your outside reflects your inside it's, it's mm-hmm. not like instantaneous like you say you think something and something happens but you notice after a while reality just starts to shift and become way more pleasant for you and a lot of people, there seems to be a broader consciousness around uh, uh, internal work. It's why a lot more people have turned to meditation over the the course of the last decade, um, and are trying to find more outlets for for you know at least the notion of internal improvement. Um, yet, simultaneously, it's not working for everybody, and that that raises some interesting questions. And it was a, a tweet that you know that seemed, I really wanted to discuss with you. So, someone named Molly Mielk, um, I believe, and uh, her tweet was: I increasingly think there's intense cruelty to shilling self care is the solution for people who are clearly craving purpose. And I think that was an interesting
concern about where people um, may be taking a less practical approach towards internal work towards self-love um, and where where they're they're finding it to be hollow when you know when they do true the, the way for them to feel happier more engaged and break some of those mental loops is having purpose and things that they can apply themselves to um, I don't know I just think there's a lot there's a lot to unwrap in in that tweet and the balance and uh, if there is tension or any hostility between the notion of self-care as a crutch um, as as an avoidance um, or maybe a distraction from purpose. And we'll have more of the prevailing narrative after the break. I think that's a nice tweet, but I think that there's a lot of BS in it. Um, mm-hmm. Purpose, first of all, let's define purpose. You know, in our, in our Western civilization, we think of purpose as my job, my career, whatever I put in the world. Mm-hmm. You're in the third, or you're in a shitty situation. You're a single mom raising five kids. What's your purpose? Your kids, you're busy putting working putting food on the table mm-hmm. a lot of people have purpose they don't just sit around defining it they haven't they're not living a mask gloves per top of the pyramid okay sure. it's a nice tweet but it's, it doesn't reflect humanity yeah we're all better when we when we have purpose but i'll tell you i've been on purpose at times i know a lot of people have a purpose but their minds are a shit show and they're miserable mm-hmm. you know so I don't talk about self-care i'm i'm not a, i'm not even a much of a believer in self-care what i'm a believer in what shifts my inside? Mm-hmm. What makes my inside better? That'll help anything, whether you're doing purpose or not purpose or whatever. Um, you know, it's it's really, and love is the fundamental, it's the God particle. It is a fundamental thing that we all understand, that we all know how to feel. We can all even trick ourselves with the feeling. That's what makes it special. That's what it's not self-care. It's not positivity. I never talk about positivity. It's not mm-hmm. about... Uh, you know, beating negative thoughts, all of that. I just go to the core, which is what saved me, and which is what I realized. You go to the core. As a writer, you go to the core of the truth. Same thing here. I think a lot of self-care gets cost, uh, gets caught up in a long, long, see, my life is a circle jerk. Mm-hmm. You know, just people doing 50 different things, feeling but not making any progress, maybe making a little progress, whatever. No, no, if you're going to do something, it's got to transform your life. If it doesn't transform your life, you're on the you're doing the wrong thing. That's simple. If you're in a workout program that doesn't get you insanely fit, drop it, find a better one. If you're mm-hmm. in a diet that doesn't get you insanely insanely fit, drop it, do another one. If you're in an internal program that doesn't get you internally awesome inside, drop it, do another one. Go for the core. I think mm-hmm. a lot of self-care, there's too many programs and too many gurus and too many YouTube coaches and too many people selling everything. Everybody's selling everything, something to everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Love is something we don't need to be sold. We don't need to be taught. You know, I figure out myself, I'm sure, and I've, I've looked, a lot of people have figured this out. I just keep it with my own separate, my simple practice. Because of the life I've lived, I have a certain, you know, maybe a broader approach to myself and, 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 and also what I've learned and what I've seen in my life. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I think that's one of the reasons it works. But, I, you know, it's a good tweet. That's the problem with Twitter. You read something, right? It's like, oh, that's good. And you like and you move on yeah did it change your life did it change your life did you are you a week later is your life better for it if not stop it Mm -hmm. let it go in fact i find you know i took nine months off from twitter finally came back on kicking and screaming because a lot of my readers want me back on i'm like Uh i really i have a hundred tweets i could do i did but i really struggle because i'm like most of this yeah they sound good i know i'm gonna get a lot of of retweets and a lot of likes but it's really like what is something core that if someone really listened to it and applied it their life would change. 
mm-hmm. you know? So I, I'm sure the woman who wrote the tweet is a wonderful person and meant well. But tweet, I mean, Twitter's full of that. But I mean, if, if Twitter's full of that and everyone on Twitter right now should be enlightened if that was the case, if these things really worked. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. I mean, there's enough of those, right? There is a lot of faint, faint wisdom and faint praise uh, floating around. When was the last time an Instagram quote quote, transformed your life? Mm -hmm. You know, it transformed your life. Yeah. If it Uh, didn't, it doesn't matter. That's my rule. Would you say that like may even be the enemy of love? I don't even know what that means. Uh, that, as you said before, if this workout program, if you're, if, if you are, if something it is not the most animated, it does not animate you. The best workout pro- program you've ever been on, right? If there's no, something I'm not saying animate. Can... I'm talking about mm. results. Okay. I'm talking about results. Is it giving you the best results? If it's mm-hmm. not, drop again another one. This diet give you the best results. Drop another one. Internal program. Drop again another one. Self care. If if a, if it makes you slightly better, not good enough. Go for something else. But life is finite, man. You're talking to a guy who, who died in a hospital was brought back. Mm-hmm. Life, and you don't know when you're going to go. Okay, we all think we have time, and I thought I had time, and when I was going, I was like, I had to come to terms with it within milliseconds. I Stared her right in the face. There. And it was horrible. It was absolutely, absolutely horrible. It was severe trauma. It was absolutely horrible. Let me tell you, life is finite. Don't waste your time fucking around trying to find the right program. Be very very it's your life it's your mind there's nothing more important because who you become and who you are is how you affect the world how you make everyone around you better so when it comes to self-improvement be merciless and go for only things that transform you and if it's you know yeah i guess maybe it's it's taking an extra beat of consciousness to, to think about whether or not something that you might like, do you actually love it? Is there an even deeper appreciation and deeper feeling that, you know, it might be, it, it might be so long since you've been in, in romantic love. Um, and since you, you mentioned that the, in describing the feeling of love in your book, that the, the feeling that you see with a child, cause a child knows that it is loved by its, by its parent. Um, and it, it that people may, have been it may be so long since somebody's felt love that things that they think they love it's really just kind of a uh, a passing amusement or something that they have a mild uh, uh you know a mild connection to and to really be conscious of what you do truly love and gives you that that deeper joy yeah you know romantic love is tough but i'll even speak from experience so much of romantic love is actually not love it's more like craving mm-hmm. you know you must love me this way so I can feel, I, you must love me this way so I can feel that way about myself. You it know, is the external. Who, yeah. Right, right? Versus, I mean, if you really love yourself and you don't need someone to validate you, watch them throw themselves at you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Once again, the, the, emer- the, the emergent qualities and things that, that are kind of, you know, when we talk about the law of attraction and just kind of that mystical quality of once you've got the inner game right and the, the external results seem to follow. Um, and then the flip side, and you had some very interesting thoughts on what is very much the flip side to love, which is fear and the way that you, you know, kind of uh, uh, your view towards processing fear in that you you describe fear as the proper signal and that you, fear it really you should be guiding yourself towards the things that you fear is probably a proper signal for the direction you should be going. Maybe you could t- tell us a little bit about, you know, how you see that emotion yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. processing. Because, it. I, because I think too much in our, because the modern society we live in, you know, we fear is so, we use fear as something to run away from. We're often fear beyond fear is where our greatest magic lies. 
you know, so I try to learn, like, if I'm, like, fear, like, fear of, like, let's take something like public speaking. You know, when I started doing public speaking, I was freaking terrified. Mm-hmm. I was terrified. I remember the first talk I gave, I went to the bathroom and stared myself like for five minutes, like, what the hell are you doing? And they went on stage and I started talking about, hey, by the way, this is going to be honestly the first time talking on stage and I'm terrified and let's just have this journey. Let's see what happens. Sure. And then being like a really, really well, it's a talk that's very, very well known on YouTube now. You know, it's like, but I, I went past that fear and that's where I found the magic was being, was going past it. You know, that's an example and anything. Um, if we let fear stop us, like, I don't know any successful entrepreneur would be successful. I don't know any, I think I read somewhere like Bruce Springsteen or which, a uh, very successful musician that we all would say, oh my God, that guy is like a musical legend. I think throws up every time before he goes on stage. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. I think it's him or someone else, or someone really well known. It's like, so the fear, you got to go beyond it because that's where the magic is. Right. Same thing in loving yourself. Like, maybe you, you know, like I get emails from people, like all these fears are coming up. I'm like, good. That shows you're on the path. Mm-hmm. It's your old self fighting it. Yeah. You think the old self is just going to let itself, you know, let you just layer these new patterns and it's going to say, who do you think you are and all that? That's normal. Go beyond it. Keep going. Keep going. That's the only thing. Keep going. Yeah. No, it's fascinating yeah. in creating those those new neural pathways and also emotional pathways because you haven't had to experience, you know, that type of emotional discomfort while while encountering the possibility of a new reality. Yeah, even in Buddhism, like I've studied with the Bon, with the mystics of Tibetan Buddhism. And, you know, um, like I was one of the very few Westerners who got to train with them. And they talk about how um, when you get to some place in certain places in your mind, it, it, because their their practice are all about enlightenment. And when you get to this point, that point, that's just the mind. Keep going. Keep going. You get here, you think, oh, my God, this is awesome. Keep going. Keep going. I think it's the same with fear. Like, obviously, like, you're parked at the edge of a cliff, and your fear is saying, don't press on the gas. Don't press on the gas. But I think in average, what I found is overall, it's, it's, it's been a very good, like, uh, maxim to live by. If it scares me, there's magic on the other side. Really yeah. consider it. Yeah. Another principle in which you had kind of a, a counterintuitive view was the notion of self-belief. And you said self-belief is actually not that important because, hey, if you have to wait around till you believe you can do something, you might be waiting forever. You might have to start before you have that self-belief. I've seen that in every great entrepreneur. Look, I mm-hmm. come from Silicon Valley. I, I run a venture capital and trust me, I know some very, very successful people. Everyone knows of everyone's heard of. I know them very well. And I know, well, you know, we share innermost thoughts and feelings and they're they were just as scared if not more in fact they're probably more scared right Mm -hmm. and they they didn't have the belief but by doing it you don't get belief by sitting there and trying to get self-belief you get belief by having done something that's how you get self-belief you know it comes to the to the path of action because there's so, no, yeah. in, in terms of embodying something and changing your state and, and actually, you know, the, the process, the, the, the functional way of improvement, you know, your, your inner, uh, your inner wiring. I mean, there's just no replacement for the feeling of encountering that challenge and in times, you know, succeeding, or at least in a more, more healthy way, you know, processing your failure and having done it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't see the point in trying to, it's like, you can spend the entire life trying to psych yourself or try to figure out all the reasons why you aren't a certain way or whatever. You can just deal with it and get better through the process. I'm a fan of do, you know, do it and the process of doing it will make you better. Uh, there's, there is no substitute for action. And then another... It, it, 
point that you've hammered on in terms of functionally how you work and work most efficiently is interesting. Um, you know, your process uh, of writing and uh, working through, it's called the Pomodoro method, where, you know, you batch work together, you, you organize in 25 minute kind of sprints. Uh, and I'd love to, you know, hear a little bit more uh, about your kind of functional approach to work. Oh, yeah, that's my favorite pro- productivity method because it's so simple. And the mm-hmm. guy I came up with, um, he called it Pomodoro method because he had a kitchen timer that looked like a tomato and he was Italian, so he called it Pomodoro method. And he just said it for 25 minutes and, or 20 minutes, I forget, but I, I usually do 25 minute bursts. And you start for 25 minutes and you pick a task and you only focus on that task. It could be email, it could be work, writing, research, but you only do that and nothing else. Nothing else. Phone rings, you don't pick it up. You're just on that. You don't, you don't say, oh, maybe I need to check this in the internet. No. Like I'm your separate task. And you're done. You take a five-minute break. Then you do another, and I call them basically sprints. You do another sprint. And I think this thing is after three, you take like a half-hour break. Mm-hmm. So what I found for myself is um, I'll do like maybe 20, 25-minute sprints. And sometimes you're in so much in the groove. I'll just skip the break and do start the next sprint. Mm-hmm. And the next break, you're just using my iPhone timer. And you get so much done when you just like focus. One thing we, we all have lost in the modern day is focus. And what this brings you back is the focus to the task at hand. And it's amazing how much you can get done if you just focus on the task at hand. You know, I use it for our emails. I'll batch. I hate emails. Like I get so many, right? So I'll just like yeah. 20 minutes. I'm like, okay, this 20 minutes is going to suck. Go. And it's just like plot <laughs> them, right? And just but it's done. It's out the way. So it's a great way to do this stuff. Yeah, you can wade wade through that morass for twenty five minutes and get it get yeah. it off the, the yeah. books real quick. Um, and turning to your your you know. Uh, professional life, if, if you will, and your involvement in Silicon Valley in the startup world. Interesting period right now, you know, as you've commented on as well, you know, it, it, a lot of people um, who, who began or entered the startup world during this last cycle, which seems to have ended over the last six months, now through three downturns uh, right at the turn of the millennium, um, 2008, 2009, and now this one, um, you know, what, uh, how, uh, what what's your outlook for how this downturn um, coming after a period of extensive low interest rates and some pretty... Uh, uh, some pretty frothy times in the startup world and the digital world. You know, how, what are you seeing that that is uh, has continuity is similar to the the downturns you've experienced before, and where this might you know might deviate might be different. Are you talking about crypto? Or are you talking about tech startups? I would say more tech startups specifically here. Then there, there's no effect. They're doing great. In fact, um, I, I have no lack for deal flow, deals. I'm looking right. At. In fact, that's the, but look, the best entrepreneurs. I'm busy working. They don't look at market conditions. I mean, like mm-hmm. at the, like you, the be, a lot of the best stuff is built in recessions. Yeah. If you look at some of the greatest companies that were built in tech, they were all, all started in recessions, right? It doesn't matter because in fact, as an investor, it's even better because a lot of the people who are like what I call fair weather entrepreneurs, when it's a hot market and they go, oh, you know, Uber is hot. So I'll start Uber for dishwashing. I'll start over. You'd be amazed the stuff I've seen from people, right? Yeah. And um, versus, you know, people just care about something and want to solve that problem. They'll do whatever. And there'll always be money for those people. Mm-hmm. Okay. And also, the bet as an investor, so now I have like a little bit less crap to, uh, to wade through to find the great sure. deals. One. And two, the prices are a little bit more reasonable. Yeah, They're still not fully reasonable. Repricing. Yeah. So as an investor, it's great. In fact, I'm like, I, I, I like it. And I, honestly, I think entrepreneurs should too because they have less competition from fair weather entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, the, okay, it's the, real, it's the real teams. 
Yeah, and a okay. lot more, a lot less pressure to do, dis, you know, take distorted paths and chase growth at all costs, and really, you know, instead refocus and nail down on building a, a profitable business, you know, at the right pace. Depends on the product. Certain mm-hmm. products are never meant to be profitable. You know, like the most interesting social stuff. consideration. You you think no, none of the social platforms are necessarily intended for profit profitability? No, they're not. They're not. Uh, they're meant to usually be swallowed by a bigger company that can then apply to their user base and boom, you go. You know, like um, that's I mean, most social apps. That's the route they take. Mm-hmm. You know, Instagram, right? It was it was swallowed up by Facebook, which then inhaled it and spat out all these users. So Instagram was a true threat to Facebook. Facebook hadn't bought it. It would have been a real. It would have taken a lot of market share from Facebook, and I'm sure they would have done money. But not Facebook level money, like as far as income goes, right? And so they've been able to focus on user experience more so than than monetizing, because there's a bazillion ways they can monetize. But when you're part of a bigger company like that, you you monetize, but not like every which way whatsoever. Yeah, most sure. social products aren't meant to honestly. Fine enough, I don't look at. I'm not looking at EBITDA results on a social platform. If I am, I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I'm in the wrong business. I'm looking for like a thousand x return, and you yeah. only get that if they IPO or they get sold to a big company that can then take that product and they have a billion users that they can just plow in and, and bake into their own. But and social so, is such a small part of tech startups. It's such a small part. It, it just it occupies a lot more mind share because it's media friendly and it's stuff that more people use. Yeah, but it's such a most social, most social stuff, I would say more than anything in tech fail because mm. it's all based on you know users and retention and, and you know, and users creating your content and so forth. The social is actually what the hardest thing to pull in. Whereas, if you do a SaaS business, you know that's that's simple. Sales, you create a product, you have a sales pipeline, you get biz dev guys, you go out, you sell, re- lather, rinse, repeat, right? Or you like do marketing and online marketing. You spend a dollar, you make a dollar ten, lather, rinse, repeat. Those are way easier than than doing social, where right? that's a hit driven business. Yeah. If you don't have a hit, it's a it's a zero. Yeah, you got you got to find some of that magic somehow in social. What sectors are interesting you right now? Well, I'm always fascinated, interesting crypto because crypto is the evolution of tech. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the way I look at it. I don't look at it like most a lot of people do. I don't look at it as the savior of mankind or anything like that. It's the evolution of tech, and there's parts of it that are going to be great for humanity. Parts of it that are just outright scams. You yeah. know, I stay away from the outright scams, and I go for I invest in projects early or platforms early that I think are actually some creating something valuable. Um, there's a lot happening right now, but the market, the appetite is very low. Like, uh, you know, I just invested in like a stablecoin project, which is like the last thing you want to invest in. Right now. <laughs> the last thing, which is why I invested in it because the founders are so sharp. Mm-hmm. I'm like, look, the, the, there's still a need for a stable coin across the world. That's not, pegged to uh, fiat currency. That's mm-hmm. not one-on-one held in reserve to fiat currency. Well, then what makes it stable? Algorithmically and like all the levers and pulleys that they do, you know, and and there's still going to be a, still going to be a need for that. Now, right now, the demand for it is zero, but eventually it's going to come back up and whoever mm-hmm. pulls it off is going to be very, very rich. So mm-hmm. I'm looking at that thesis and I'm thinking, okay, who are the best teams? And basically expecting to lose my money on pretty much all of them. But if I hit mm-hmm. that one, I'm doing just fine. Yep. Yeah, you know, I that's, imagine so. That's the venture game. 
Are you seeing a lot of similarities uh, from what's going on right now with crypto to the dot-com and e-com boom bust in, around the turn of the millennium and something being overhyped in the short term, being properly hyped in the long term, and then in response to that bust, to some, it's a, you know, the, the bursting of a short-term bubble, a lot of people overlearning the lessons. They overlearn the lessons of some of these failures, like the, the Luna failure around stable coins um, or other, other aspects of the crypto world that might have been a little too heavily reliant on financial uh, speculation as opposed to functionality. And it seems like uh, everyone's exaggerated exuberance on the on the upside and exaggerated pessimism on the downside. Yeah, that's just markets in general. Yeah. I mean, yeah. is it is it equivalent to dot-com boom? Originally, like maybe early on, I would have said yes, but no. I mean, it's mm -hmm. crypto is so global. Like anyone, any 10-year-old with a laptop can be on there investing in crypto projects. You yeah. don't have that in the dot-com boom. You still have to go through a broker and all that. It was a different audience. It was a different um, – it's it's completely different because the world is connected in a way that we weren't in the first dot-com boom. So yeah. what, what's available, what's possible now in crypto is – they couldn't even have dreamt about in that combo. Mm -hmm. So I think it's much bigger in scale as far as the ups and the downs. Uh, but as you said, over time, you know, you have things that are built that stand the test of time and become incredibly valuable. Uh, what they are remains to be seen. I mean, we all know, okay, Bitcoin's the gold standard. You know, no one's doubting that. And then the rest, you know, people say eat, okay. Uh, outside of that, it's all fair game. Mm -hmm. And it will be fair game for a long time. How does one become a shrewd observer of of the pro you know app relevant projects in the crypto world about who's building what and you know try to if you are someone who is interested in this world it's not necessarily building themselves but wants to but believes it is uh, it, it it is the next phase of a digitized society um, what do you you know what are you, what's your guidance and recommendations on how to be you know be more educated and a shrewd observer of these things. Uh, there's a lot of stuff, you know, YouTube and podcasts available that, that you can follow. But I would say, okay, if you can, only listen to people who are not selling anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's it. If you're trying to figure out who do I pay attention to in crypto, if they're trying to sell you something, if they're like own a chunk of that project, don't, don't listen to them. Mm -hmm. they're, they're biased. They make money if you buy, right? Yeah. And they dump on you. I mean, um, so like, but podcasts. Anytime I see find someone smart in crypto, first thing I do is I just do a Google search. I put the name in podcast and see if they've been on a podcast episode. Mm -hmm. And I'll go. I get to basically take. I meet someone smart, and then if I find they did a podcast episode, I basically get to listen to the innermost thoughts on a subject that I want to learn about. Right. I mean, this is better than any MBA, any education you could ever get. It's that simple. Take your name, someone you find smart, whatever. Say, you know what? Put their name in podcast. If they've been on podcast. They're there to share. They're there to answer questions. Go learn from that. And, and it was interesting. Your thoughts on the pot on podcasting as a medium, because I was I was looking at you know at, at your newsletter around when you decided to reboot your podcast in 2020 that you had some hesitation about the podcast space, and that it was because it's so saturated. Seems mm -hmm. like alpha's harder to find. But then you know, in, in getting past that, you, you do get access to so many amazing minds, just like you you know provided access to the great conversations you had with people like Alan. What we're trying to do here today. What are you, what are your thoughts on pot? You know, you obviously just gave them, but you know. And looking back on some of your hesitation about doing your own podcast, um, what are your thoughts on podcasting as a medium? 
I mean, I still have hesitations <laughs> on it. I haven't done it in a year. I just got, I was like, after a while, I was like, all right, like, I mean, but what am I doing that's so special yeah. and so different, right? And I kind of got, I was like, I stopped until like I figured that out. I don't mm-hmm. want to do it. Um, but I, I think it really is to be, the best thing we can do is we can be strategic in our growth. And, the, and then in that, then we have to be strategic with the ones we want to learn from for our growth. So if you find someone you think, oh, I want to learn from this person, literally just go look at what podcasts they'll be on and don't be wedded to any particular podcast. But every once in a while, you'll find someone who's just pure magic and you want to listen to everything they've ever said, like Andrew mm-hmm. Huberman on health. That guy is the top guy on health, period. I mean, he's a neuroscientist out of Stanford and his his uh, some of his episodes he does is just him doing a, uh, an episode. They are master classes, like true master classes in your health. And then the guests you have, whatever. But I don't listen to every episode he has done. I go and listen to what I'm interested in. Um, but then, like that's the same thing, you know. Like I'll just literally, if I find someone interesting enough, I want to like learn. From, basically, I'm like, do I want to learn from this person? Yes. Put the name podcast. Go find an episode or two. Listen to them. I learn from someone. You know, learn from someone who's way smarter than me in something that I'm interested in. Right, like right now, if anyone wants to get into crypto, you know, there's so much information out there, so much garbage. I would just do this. I would just start like, um, you know, picks. You know, go to Twitter, follow some of their really smart accounts, uh, and then see who do they follow, who do they listen to. You know, like when it comes to Bitcoin, the only person I would listen to is Willie mm-hmm. Wu, right? He's a, he's a guy in New Zealand. He's brilliant on Bitcoin. Um, you know, he's also a friend of mine, but like we actually met a few years ago, years ago, I think in Bali and randomly we ended up talking about 12 hours straight because we approached, I approached from the venture perspective, he approached from as a trainer, but also someone who's been Bitcoin much longer than I have. And it was just, we were both like learning from each other. It was just like one of the best conversations I've ever had. We literally talked for 12 hours. We just met for dinner. We spent, spent all night talking. <laughs> and like he's brilliant. So like if you find those people and then you just, if I want to know what's happening in Bitcoin, I don't sit there thinking, gee, I wonder what's going to happen in Bitcoin tomorrow. I'm going to, I'm going to say, you know, Willie's way smarter than me. I want to know what Willie thinks and I won't go find his latest podcast episode because I'm sure someone's asked him that. Yeah. No, incredible, incredible alpha to be, to be gleaned from people like that. You yeah. Know? And yeah. I think people, uh, they, it, it, a lot, obviously the, uh, the, tenor around bitcoin you know in the general marketplace uh, a little negative right now but i think people are still underestimating how many how much amazing stuff is being done you know utilizing the chain and and uh, what the potential of this is so um look forward to looking at you know listening to some of willie's uh, uh materials um you know, to- uh, one thing on crypto i would just want to add like look fundamentally in the end you gotta ask yourself do i think it's going to be around yeah or not if you think it's going to be around this thing is the future of tech. You better get, you better learn because this is also the future of money. And this is also a way to make a lot of money and also lose a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just be honest, right? But it's not something you want to disregard mm-hmm. if you think it's going to be around. It's like the internet. If you think, you know, in 2002, 2004, you sat down and thought, you know what? I think this internet thing's going to stick around. You should have gotten in and started learning about the internet and companies building on there, whatever. And I bet you, you would have gotten rich. Yeah. You, you, if you overlearn too many lessons from pets.com, you missed Amazon. <laughs> right. So you start learning about, you start thinking of the broader thing. Well, this thing, you don't think, oh, well, pets.com fails to interest nothing. Mm-hmm. No, no. Yeah, so will the internet ever be around? Will it be bigger and bigger in the future? Then you better dedicate, if you want to learn, if you want to make money, 
you want you want to start dedicating some of your time to that field. I, it, I feel that way about crypto. Yeah, it's going to be a painful painful next decade or two for the people who dismiss it. I mean, I just I, I'm looking at just the pure the the uh, uh, intellectual capital that is investing in the space, trying to figure it out. I was like, man, if this is not a thing, got a lot of smart people who who uh, miss the target. I mean, I just find it hard to believe. I think Stanley Druckenmiller, I think mentioned um, the way that we find we we've been scouting investments for a quarter century now is looking. at at what all the smartest engineering students from Stanford, the Ivies and Caltech and MIT are going into, and they're just overwhelmingly going into crypto right now. I was like, okay, I'm sure some of this is chasing a quick buck, but a lot of it isn't. And I mean, you've got a lot of young people essentially throwing their their youth away if if, uh, if blockchain and the crypto world's just simply a myth that was uh, an impact of loose monetary policies during the 20, uh, 2010s. I mean. Well, they would have otherwise gone to Wall Street, made you know hedge funds billions. So right. now they're going in and doing this, and they're creating something new. That the best way to make money, and also the point also the easiest way to lose money, is to get in something when it's new. That's where the highest risk, but the highest reward. Yeah. And I don't think if someone doesn't get into it, they will lose that. Because look, I know people who make fortunes in real estate. Mm -hmm. They really should not get involved in crypto. They're going to lose their shirts. If you're good at something, you know, one thing I've learned investing. Figure out what your unfair advantage is. Mine is in tech. Mm -hmm. I know it inside out. I know a lot of the top people in the space. I have the deal flow. That's why I don't invest in real estate or anything else, or even Wall Street. I'm like, there's plenty of people on Wall Street who who dedicated their lives to it, who have the unfair advantage. I don't. But in tech, early stage, I'll 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 win against them. Yeah. Right. So that's why I stay in it. So figure out if you have an unfair advantage, something else for to make a living. Just get really good at it. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, and you want a new thing that you that you know is going to be the future, crypto's it, in yeah. my opinion, right? Yep. No, abs- absolutely. Well, uh, you know, a very val- valid opinion, given your track record. Uh, and speaking of which, in terms of uh, looking at how you you've commented on some of your investments and and what which direction you decided to take your your both your capital and your time, because one of your core value propositions is your network and and helping these companies scale and grow the network and, and BD. Um, you have continually seen you mentioned that you you met a founder and you thought this person is the right person to be building this. Seems to be you know a bit of bit of a feeling and intangible. Quality quality that you know that you've um that you've absorbed from these founders i'd love to hear you expand on that and we'll have more of the prevailing narrative after the break yeah those actually have been historically my best investments just like and look i'm also a people person so i'm not a spreadsheet person and you know people are surprised by that i'm like look at venture if you're a spreadsheet early stage venture if you're a spreadsheet person you're in the wrong business it's mm-hmm. not the best spreadsheet it's about people and what they're building and the possible you know how well you think that's going to do you have to know tech i should know people who know tech especially in crypto because there's a lot of people selling a lot of fluff oh yeah right so um Repeat the question for me again. I was going to drift it, it, off it, for a second. No, no worries. No worries. In you, you seem to prioritize the Founders. feel, the founder yes. feel that you yes. get from this person is the right person yeah. to be building this. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, for Zcash, I was one of the earliest investors in Zcash, and it was for my last fund. I still met Zuko, and this was before crypto was hot. Mm-hmm. But he'd been in crypto before Bitcoin, and he just lived for it, and he cared so much about privacy. I was like, and he was so like charismatic about it, even though I understood only one out of 10 words that came out of his mouth when he was talking about, you know, crypto cryptography. 
and he was bringing in the right people. I was like, you're the guy I want to bet. I wish I'd done a bigger bet. I was still kind of scared about mm. the points. So I had a small bet, but that small bet returned really nicely for my for my last fund. Um, and then I've just done that. Like you meet this person who really cares about a problem and is also can rally other people around them and actually build there. That is the best bet you can get early stage. Mm-hmm. You know, early stage is not built on if it does not built on spreadsheets. Absolutely. I don't look at their I don't look at their projections because projections are made up numbers. Yep, it's hopes and dreams and prayers. It really is like projecting five years out on a on a on a social product. Really, like what you know, like you can't. It's just um. So you're betting on people. You know, in the end, adventure at least early stage, later stage you can do based on metrics and so forth. But early stage. You know, Uber, you know, Travis at Uber, you know, Travis was the guy to build it, but no one expected Uber was going to become this worldwide juggernaut. It was called Uber Cab, Uber Taxi. But really, but they thought, yeah, Travis can pull this up, San Francisco, a couple other cities. Okay, let's bet on it. The amount of right? regulatory hurdles that he had to get yeah. past that only it no took a, nobody it. else could have. Only, it took a special you person know? to stare at those challenges and say, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ask for, I'd rather ask for forgiveness than permission. I'm going to go in there. We're going to, uh, we're going to uh, access this market and we'll figure out the regulatory challenges afterwards. Took a unique guy. Well, Travis is a fighter. Yeah. It took a fighter to go up against every taxi mafia in every city in the world. Yeah. I wouldn't have done it. I couldn't have done it. I would have worn out. I said, fuck this. Not worth it. Right? Yeah. Most people I know, they talked about, I remember this, I was at some uh, startup event in New York City. This guy was uh, pitching me for something. He wanted to do an Uber replacement, but he's like, yeah, I only need $50 million and I can do it. That's all it is. I'm like, <laughs> No, <laughs> you're gonna waste that fifty million. I mean, people understand this thing. If I just have the money, I'll do it. No, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. You know, if you have the will, it's it's like uh, it's the will, the passion, the ability to do it. In fact, you know, like I think first time founders overemphasize the importance of money mm-hmm. versus the best thing founders are like the ones who started doing it for a while. It's scrappy, they built it, and now they need the money to scale. Mm-hmm. Those will. People are wrestling with all day long. They'll be like beating people off of the stick. Yeah. If you're going to be a founder, that's what you want to do. Whether sitting around, well, all I need is the right co-founder and the right fa- and the right investor and the right this. You know, no one's going to run after that. No. And there's a reason for it. Those don't work. Yeah. You know, it's you know, like the best entrepreneurs are self-starters. They're passionate. They care about what they do. And they're going to do this cup hella high water. Those are the ones you want to bet on. I mean, even just as a human being, who do you want to back? Right. Yeah. And someone who need you are going to encounter infinite problems. And it's got to be the type of person that can figure that has the, the willingness and the capability to figure those out and keep on going. And that's a unique person. Yeah. yeah. So circling back to uh, the most interesting man in the world claim and uh, right, you know, just as I started to, uh, you know, read some of your materials and, and kind of research you a bit, the person who came to mind was Ernest Hemingway, who was uh, arguably the most interesting man in the world of his era. And uh, very much it was not surprising for me to realize that he was a, uh, a, a source of inspiration for you in both living a life, of, living a Huge. life of adventure, you know, exotic adventure. And, you know, his famous quote, uh, what what is writing? It's simple. You just just uh, op- get open up your typewriter and typewriter and bleed. And about you know sharing a raw, vulnerable, unfiltered uh, version of yourself is really where the value in writing comes. Um, you know, I'd love to to hear you know your thoughts on Hemingway as your inspiration and uh, and you know what lessons you've gleaned from him. Hemingway was the first example I came across in clear, true writing. I mean, he transformed modern American literature. And before him, it was all flowery words and this and that, but he was just like every word matter. I remember 
I went to this museum in New York City once, um, and they had, I think, was it Farewell to Arms, a copy of it, uh, like inscribed by him, and I had to a friend, and I only wrote something like the last paragraph, he rewrote 25 times to get it right. Mm. That's what it takes to be a master. And even at his level, when he was writing that, right, he wrote it 20, 25 times, rewrote it, but I'm saying word by word by word, right, to get it right. That's what it takes when you care deeply about anything. You don't just, it's like when people ask me to read, their, uh, read a book they wrote, I'm like, what draft is it? They look at me like, what do you mean, what draft? I'm like, is it the first draft, second draft, third? They're like, what do you mean, drafts? I'm like, when you're at the fifth draft, then maybe I'll look at it, <laughs> right? You don't, you don't, if you want to keep someone as a friend, never send them your first draft. First draft, you know, Hemingway said it's excrement. Yeah. You know, yeah, he was yeah. polite about it. Um, <laughs> what I learned from him was his, what his true commitment to his craft. You know, people talk about how much he should drink or whatever, but when he was working a book, he wouldn't drink. Mm -hmm. He was so disciplined. He had a process and he just would get in and do the work. It was so disciplined. I really, and I learned that level of discipline, you know, and it applies to everything in life. If you truly care about something, you have to be disciplined, right? Because it's not going to do itself for you. If you truly care of being great at something, and why not? You have this life. Be great at something. doesn't matter what. It really doesn't matter what, you know? I recently, um, I'll tell you something funny. In um, October, I kind of came with this idea. You know what? I want to be like, I want to uh, be like John Wick, the movie, right? I want to be like that character. I want to be as good it's as him. Interesting ambition. So, I just came up with it. I was like, that sounds like fun, uh -huh. right? So I called some friends of mine, and through through my network, I got connected with this former SEAL Team 6 operator named Steve Sanders. Um, if you look, go to sixshooters.com, you can look him up. He's a legend in the team, teams, okay? Very highly decorated, been in so many deployments, been, he's killed a lot of very, very bad human beings, very the top-tier human beings who have done very bad things. He's been sent in to shoot them in the face, okay? <laughs> To put it mildly, okay. Put me so I I in Ve he lives in Vegas. So I reached out to him through a mutual friend, and so he was willing to talk to me. And I said, like, I kind of jokingly said, look, I want to come train with you to get to job. Like, kind of like, I think he would have hung up on me, but when it came to a mutual friend, he's like, okay, show up. Let's see how you can train. I showed up, and I started training uh, combat shooting with him because John Wick is incredible with guns, right? So I was like, who better learn from than a SEAL Team Six operator? who's done everything from protect the first president of Afghanistan, just him and SEAL Team 6 against all of Taliban. Oh, yeah. You know, to every, like, right? I mean, this as legit as it gets. I started training with him, and I just kept on showing up every day with beginner mind and humble. And he was trying to just get me to get so frustrated that I would leave. He told me later, he's like, yeah, I didn't think he would show up the next day. And I kept on showing up, kept on showing up. And you know what? I started training with him full time. And to the point where after four or five months, I am very good at combat shooting. And when I say combat shooting, it's not in a range. It's like running around, doing drills the SEAL Team 6 drills do, mm -hmm. as, as they do in the SEAL teams, right? And in the process, I kind of was doing it more as a joke. I thought it'd be kind of fun. I fell in love with it. Wow. I fell in love with it because here's the thing. I was learning from a true master of his craft. His craft is shooting, okay? And we're lucky we have you know, men like that and men and women like that in the military, that's what they've chosen to do because they are, you know, they're the ones who are representing us and the bad things one has to do in the military that so the civilians can don't have to do those bad things, right? And he's a true master at the craft. And and when you start learning the true master at anything, you start to, you, st you all of a sudden, it's a different 
you just realize just what goes into it. And I fell in love with it. I literally fell in love with it. And then it's like you have a master who's taken on the time to take you on as a student. You're not going to let it down. You bring your A game. Like I'm so disciplined when I'm training with them. You literally bring your A game and you're always giving your best and you're always humble because you're not going to talk shit bad to a master. Oh, no. You're still a student. You'll always be a student, right? And also, you're SEAL Team 6 guy. You're never going to talk shit <laughs> back to a SEAL Team 6 guy, right? And you just don't. Not if and you have any instinct very, for self-preservation. Yeah, and you know the best masters, like him, him very humble, very no-nonsense. Doesn't tell me war stories. Even he'll tell them sometimes as part of the training. Like, why is he making me go around like this one drill we're doing? Like, he's teaching me how to... Sh- switch and shoot from the left side or the right side. And I hated it. I'm like, why do I need to shoot from my left side, you know, with the, with the, with the M4? Mm-hmm. And he showed me why the SEAL teams that did. I was like, oh. And he actually, you know, and then we've done everything from like clearing rooms with live rounds, with each other sweeping rooms. Just, you don't, even the police does, the SWAT doesn't get this level of training, right? So I've got to train that with him. And in that process, you know, when you go into any craft, and it's a craft, and this is not something I want to use on people. It's just like fun. Hey, I want to be like John Wick. And now he's like, yeah, I like, I've seen the John Wick videos. I'll put you in a range and you'll outshoot him. Right. I was like, holy cow. Now, <laughs> the, the confidence you build as getting better in anything is incredible. Yeah. I have a newfound confidence that I, you know, I'm a confident guy, but I have a newfound confidence I never had. It's amazing, like, to, to progress in a craft and learn from a master. I did that with Hemingway. Hemingway, I found, was a master. And you start, you learn from the dead masters by studying their work. Mm-hmm. His, his, his lessons were in the book. That was the end result. How do you, you know, you figure out, you learn how to get there. So you really, there's so much growth that happens. Like I have grown so much by studying with Steve um, in so many ways I never expected as a human being. I just set up to learn a foreign skill and just kind of like, you know, kind of like tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. And I've become so serious about it. Screw John Wick. I want to be way better <laughs> just because I want to be better at this, you know, because yeah. now it's become like a craft I'm setting out uh, to learn. And one day, perhaps I'll never get to his level. You know, he's been in hundreds of firefights, literally. Right. I don't want to be in one, <laughs> you know, like uh, but with my training. If I am in one, like you said, the other side is you're going to, you know, you're like, he said, "You only you don't pull a gun out because otherwise you will only, you you only do it if you have to kill someone." And yeah. I would never, I, I don't have zero desire to do that. But as a skill, it's made me a better human being. It's made me like much more. When you apply yourself to anything, you know something inside you gets better and better. And I keep forgetting that I did not expect it to happen in this training. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, I would say like in writing or anything, if you can find a master and just apply yourself to learn from it. The alchemy that happens is that you grow in ways you never could have otherwise. And you become better in ways that's way beyond that skill. Like, I have a level of confidence now that I did not have before. And it's just like, it's like, I don't know what it is, but I just like, I know that if I'm walking down the street, I'm thinking, no, I wouldn't fuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like, I have this confidence. Yeah. And, and it's like, it's like, and it shows. And, and it's not like I'm trying to prove anything. No, the, like, the emergent, emergent quality of, of attacking something or growing through something that's that complex that also operates at that edge of human intensity. I mean, whether or not you've been in a, a firefight, you're, you're learning the skills that are required. You're, you're being trained to encounter uh, a, a situation of that level of intensity. I, I imagine that you can't help but grow from that and, and be more grounded. Yeah, and also, like, for example, in writing, when I really set out to learn the craft of writing, I spent about a decade working my ass off on it. Mm-hmm. And I grew as a person because when you grow and you get better in something, that you get the sense of confidence. 
okay, forget the one with the with shooting guns. That's a different kind of confidence, sure. right? But you get a certain kind of confidence because you grow, you step up as a human being. And when you step up as a human being and you accomplish something and you're better, nothing can take that away from you. That sense of self. It's building a sense of self. And a sense of self doesn't come sitting around waiting for it to happen and doing self-care work. It comes from actually doing things that get better at it that you care about getting better at it. It naturally happens. Seems like a, a symbiotic relationship between loving yourself and inspiring yourself to take on those challenges and those challenges and growing through them, increasing, you know, and, and cementing one's love for thyself um, because you feel better about yourself and know, knowing that, you know, you can't yeah. grow. It's actually like that, you know, being, I've, I've talked to some people about confidence. I'm like, the best way to get confidence is actually just pick things that, and apply yourself to them and get better at them and things that are challenging, but then you care about it, so you'll stick with it. Yeah. yeah right? Yeah. And you'll just naturally develop a sense of confidence that you can't fake, that you carry with you. You know, that's the, that's the real confidence. Like people like Steve, you know, who are so accomplished, so humble, so quiet, never walking down the street. I mean, like you see this guy, there's a, I could give you $10 million. You're like, no, nah, I'm not going to fuck with him. No, that's okay. No, thank you. You would have to know what he is. You, you don't have to know who he is. You're like, I know, no, thank you. Nah. Like, because he's, he's done this. He yeah. carries it with him. Right. But it can be anything. You can tell the confidence in a writer who's worked to get to where they are or a conference in a, in a carpenter or in anything you do. Yeah. You know, it's a gift actually in life to be, we're lucky that we can actually live in a society where we're just not literally trying to survive all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, at least most of us, right? That even when I was in the position of life, I was just trying to survive. We still live in the Western world, you know, and we have so much available to us. We're not like fighting tigers off and sure. someone's not shooting, you know, like we're not like fighting off like, you know, armed militias off, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like we have the time to do these things and it's the greatest gift we can give ourselves. Things that we can imp internally and externally where we improve ourselves. A beautiful, a beautiful message that I think uh, you know a lot of us need to be more more conscious of right now, and, and kind of understanding having been released from uh, uh, material deprivation that we do have the time and the ability to go and pursue some of these, uh, you know, pursue excellence and these things that might at first seem just like uh, kind of casual leisure instances, but really do uh, present the opportunity for enormous personal growth. And mm -hmm. um, Kamal, well said. Thank you very much. And uh, I cannot thank you enough for coming on and giving us this blueprint on how to approach that expertise, how to approach and pursue that in, you know, a deeper internal grounding and more primitive understanding of ourselves, uh, uh, encountering our, our, our facing our, our fears, our own truths and growing from them. Um, so appreciate you, the, your, your work so much and the many lives it has transformed and the wisdom and knowledge that you've been willing to share with us today. And, uh, you know, once you're, you're back from Las Vegas and uh, Mr. Loeb is back from his travels. He, uh, he wanted me to, to kind of a, a, a blood commitment to getting together and uh, awesome. discussing this stuff in person. So thank you once again so much for joining us. And uh, if you could let everybody know where to find uh, find you on the internet or, or your other materials. Um, honestly, I'm very lazy on social, but if you just Google <laughs> me, Kamal Ravikant, you'll find whatever I'm doing. I literally I took a year off from Instagram, nine months off, nine months off from Twitter and finally back on Twitter. I think the best way is just my books. Go to Amazon. I, I promise you, if you don't like it, I'll double your money back. It doesn't affect your life. Like it's Harper Collins who makes money off them. You know, not me. I get a smaller royalty, so I'm not trying to sell you anything. But really, the work I put into Love Yourself, What Your Life Depends On. I put a year of my life. Just every word matters, and, and from my heart. And it really has helped so many people. That's what I'd like to see happen: is more people 
read that and apply it. That's I've done something really good in the world with that. That I, the world is better because I was here. A beautiful yeah. sentiment and one that uh, that is very much uh, uh, that, that you're seeing in the reaction to your work so far and even just, uh, you know, ha- having encountered it myself and having taken a break from personal development and self-help work, just the some simplistic and, and straightforward messaging and even within the last 48 hours since, you know, I've first encountered it um, has really big, been a big boon for me. So thank you once again and uh, I look forward to continuing this in person. My pleasure. I am Matt Belinsky. Once again, you can listen and subscribe to The Prevailing Narrative on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. Make sure to follow me on my socials at Matt Belinsky, M-A-T-T-B-I-L-I-N-S-K-Y. The Prevailing Narrative is a Cavalry Audio production in association with iHeartRadio. Produced by Brandon Morgan, executive produced by Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. For Cavalry Audio, I'm Matt Belinsky. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh. The joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.